So back in seminary, uh, this was a number of years ago, my friends and I definitely lived the stereotypical poor seminarian life. Uh, one of the things that I will never, ever, ever, ever take for granted in my life today is when I walk around the grocery store, if there's something that catches my eye, I can grab it and just toss it in. Because for the three plus years of seminary and post-seminary life, that was never an option for me and my friends. We would write a grocery list, not, to for, not because we might forget that, oh, we need eggs, but including the math because of what we could afford. So I'll never take it for granted how much his life has changed. But that's what kind of the scenario was for us in school. But out of myself and all of my friends, there was one friend who stands out the most who was the poorest and who had the least, who, who was living the simplest. This one friend of mine. He spent the least money, he had the fewest possessions, and let me tell you a little bit about his situation. So, to, to explain. So, this friend of mine, he had no bed, so he would sleep on a sleeping bag on the floor. That was his furniture, that's how he went to bed every night. If that doesn't tell you enough, even if you're the poorest pastor in the world, what do pastors always own too much of? Not a rhetorical question, somebody tell me. What do they have too much of? Zoom background, what is every pastor's Zoom background? Bookshelf, right? Too many books. He was the only pastor on planet Earth, I'm convinced, who didn't have books. He would go to the library and borrow them and then return them or borrow someone else's. You've never met a pastor without, like this who didn't have books. He had no car. He was the only one who didn't have a car. We always had to give him rides. And this was just like the life that he lived. So fast forward, graduation, and then some. We're still friends. We're connecting on like FaceTimes and chatting pretty often. And we found out that he started dating a girl. So like, ooh, like, what, okay, let's get on the phone, so we schedule a call, he tells us, and we excitedly are asking, like, you know, just attacking with all these questions, like, how did you meet, like, you know, like, oh, who introduced you, like, what was the first date like, what was your first impression, and then eventually somebody asked him, oh, what does she do for work, and he responded, oh, she's a doctor. Nice. Nice. Praise God, right? Like, everyone's celebrating. Oh, my God. It's like rags to riches store. You better get married to this girl. Poor guy, rich girl. You went from sleeping bag to sleep number bed. You know, like, celebration. Everyone was like, whoa, like, freaking out on the phone. When I look back at this conversation, and now I'm able to take, like, kind of a bird's eye view, I realize money has a big, like, strong, tremendous, powerful hold into influencing our thoughts. You see what happened to us in this conversation? By the way, we're all pastors and should know better, right? But let's rewind. What happened to us? The moment we got most excited about my friend meeting his future, potential future wife, and spoiler, he, he did get married to her, the time we got most excited was when we found out she was a doctor. Why? Because we love people who help people for it. No, because doctors make a lot of money. The implication here is, now you're blessed. Thank God. You were living a sucky life before. Now your life is going to be so good. If you marry this girl, you're going to be rich. It's going to take care of all of your problems. No more worries. No more sleeping on the ground. You can drive whatever you car. You know, that's the implication, obviously. I don't, need, I don't need to state the obvious. You knew what we were thinking, and you were thinking the same thing. I wonder, would we have been just as happy for him if the answer to the question what does she do for a living, was, oh, she's a waitress, or she's in grad school, or you know what, she's unemployed because she's just figuring it out. She doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life. Would we have been that happy? 
Would we have said, oh my God, you're so blessed? Would we have like, bro, like on the phone? No, we wouldn't have. Because we assume that having lots of money will mean happiness. We think that the greater the salary, the better the life. But having more money in no way guarantees that. What we should have asked and got excited for were questions about her personality, her character, things that would actually be meaningful uh, information to whether she would make a great girlfriend, a great fiance, and a great spouse. Not about how much money she makes, because the reality is to have, in life is to have a truly meaningful and abundant and rich life in that way. It's not about the money. We've been using this phrase, the rich life, the title of this sermon series, a lot the past few weeks. And if you haven't picked it up by now, you know, by now, you know, it's, it's kind of been obvious. It's, it's a play on words. Because we're not talking about the financially rich life. When we say rich life, we're talking about meaningful joyful, abundant, deep, good. That's what we mean by the rich life. And what we should want for each other, what I wish I had wanted for my friend on that phone call, is that rich life, not the wealthy one. Thankfully, spoiler again, she did end up being a person of high character and a godly woman. They did end up getting married, and they are happy, and I believe, living that type of rich life. But not because of her salary, but because as their wealth increased, so did the riches of their life, because they made a commitment as a couple to be generous. My friend, who doesn't have books, he does have a rich life. But not because he married a doctor, but because he's living generously. And this is my theme for today's message. The rich life is not the financially wealthy one. The rich life is a generous one. If you want to have a truly rich, meaningful, deep, abundant, purposeful, joyful life, then I would like to argue you should consider living generously. So let's turn to our Bibles and see what we can learn from Luke 21 about generous living, about the truly rich life. Luke 21, verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the setting of this short story is a crowd of people bringing their offerings to the temple. They're in the temple courts. And Jesus observes wealthy people putting in large sums of money into the treasury. And how does he know that? Is he like, like looking in? Like, yeah, how much are you going to put in? No, it's probably because of noise. They had metal, metallic coins into a big metal box. They probably carried it in sacks and dropped clunk, clunk, clunk. And people like to kind of brag about it. But then he says, the, the, the narrative says that he sees also a poor widow. And she doesn't have the same offering like the others. She has very little to give. And it says two small copper coins. What it's understood to be in today, like for to, if you can try to picture it, is one sixty-fourth, the fraction, of a day's wage. So whatever it was for her and whatever it might be for you, it's very, very little. One sixty-fourth of a day's wage is probably safe to say what she put in. 
This in comparison is, of course, minuscule compared to what others are giving. But Jesus says she put in more than everyone else. And then, in fact, she's praised by Jesus as have given more than any of the rich people. Obviously, as we read, when Jesus says she has put in more, he's not saying more in quantity. He's not that bad at math. He's not doing girl and boy math here. Jesus math. He understands that the offering she put in is... I, I talk tick too, you know. Uh, he, he, she put, understands that he put more monetary... It's not more worth monetarily. He's saying she has given more in value because Jesus' valuation of people's temple offerings is not a matter of quantity. It's a matter of the heart's posture. So here's the first thing that we learn about generous living. Generosity is not a state of your finances. It's a state of your heart. Generosity is not about financial management. About resp- uh, it's like how you live when you have excess income. It's not about those who have margin versus those who don't have margin. It's not a matter of budgeting wisely. Generosity is about the state of the heart. It's about love and humility and surrender and servitude. Being a generous person is not dependent on how much you have. It's dependent on what your, the state of your heart is. You ever have this conversation with friends? Man, like when I get my job or like if I win the lottery, I would give so much. I would buy all my friends like cars. I, you know, set up scholarship for inner city kids. I'd build buildings. I'd do all this stuff. Or, or maybe it's just like, oh, I can't wait to get out of school and be loan free because then I'm going to be so generous. I'm going to s- support my, my, my cousins who are struggling. And like you, you all these dreams, right? There's a couple issues of, of issues with the way of, the, of thinking this way of thinking. First, none of us really knows whether you're going to be that generous with money. I, it's, it's good to think and hope that you will be, and I'm not discouraging that train of thought, of course, but I think we all need a healthy mistrust of just magically becoming super generous just because you get rich. Last week, Pastor Eugene mentioned the studies show that everybody thinks they need 20% more. Everyone. Billionaires, millionaires, poor people, everybody thinks they, want, they need 20% more. So that might be us too. But secondly, the issue with this way of thinking, and more importantly for my point today, is why are you waiting for the future? Why is it, oh, when I get my raise, then I will. If I ever win the lottery, man, I would be so generous. Why are we waiting? Why can't we be generous right now? For most of us, the answer, when I say, why can't you just be generous right now? Your instinct is probably, because I don't have that much. But it's because our minds trick us and tell us it's only based upon what you have. Generosity depends on what you have. You don't have that margin, therefore you are exempt. But no, generosity depends on the heart. So my wife and I have lived in the city of Medford since 2014. And when we first moved there, we joined the Facebook group, Everything is Free Medford. I'm sure many of y'all are familiar with it if you're part of your own neighborhoods. You know, another name is like Buy Nothing, right? Like Buy Nothing, Somerville, Buy Nothing, Brookline. You know, Everything is Free, Cambridge. Um, It's basically just online forum where people just post things that they own that they don't need anymore. You can't charge for it. It's free, Buy Nothing. And... uh, it just, it just might benefit somebody else. 
And so for the most part, we've, we've loved it. We've received a lot of good things from the community. We've, we've given away a lot of things to the community. And it's really, really great. It's beautiful. But there are some posts that I'm just like, what is wrong with people, right? It's like this combination of shock and eye-rolling and judgy and scoffing, just like mashed into one. So let me show you some of the things that get posted. So this, this picture for uh, starters. Box full of women's clothes, size six to eight, and she just describes it. And in my mind, I'm like, it's just like, are you not going to show what clothes are inside? It's just a box. Is somebody going to all of a sudden want this? Like, who's going to want unidentified clothing in a box? Like, couldn't you have laid it out on the floor? So this is silly in my mind, but very uh, minimal silliness. Let's, let's go up the scale of silliness to me. These are Amazon padded mailers. And it says, preference for fast pickup. Because people are going to be lining up to pick up your trash? Like, this is just, it just doesn't, I, I can't comprehend. And this one, this is the gold medal of all-time ridiculousness to me. So it's not the top left. So the top left, the shape of those cans and the fact that it's in a cardboard box, those are probably like 4 or $5 craft beers, right? That's not what this person's giving away. In this bucket is dryer lint. And they posted dryer lint. Come get it. Pick up porch pickup here. I don't understand. I've seen used bras and underwear, half-eaten pizzas and birthday cakes, leftover egg whites or egg yolks, depending on what they were baking that day, accidental Grubhub deliveries that went to the wrong person that somebody took a bite out of was like, oh, it's not my thing. Melted bobas on the side of the curb. Milk jugs, half empty, because, oh, we're going to Paris tomorrow, and if anybody wants this before it spoils, come grab it on, you know, Main Street. This Facebook group is filled with this stuff, and for me, I don't know if I'm just judgy, but my, my eyes roll so much. I'm like, who wants this? Why would you post that up there? Who wants your kids' half-eaten birthday cake? Have you ever seen a three-year-old blow out candles? It's 99% spit, 1% air. You want me to eat that? Like, I don't understand. But you know what happens? Whenever I go back to the post, it's always updated. Item picked up. Gone. Pending. You know what the dryer lint someone put in the comments? This is, not, this is a real story. I'm not making this up. Oh my gosh, I'm coming. I'm going, I'm going camping this weekend, and dryer lint is great fire starter. People go and get it. They're driving to ho strangers' homes to grab dryer lint, melted bobas, half-eaten children's birthday cakes, and boxes of clothes that they can't even see. That could, whoever, who knows what's inside that thing? And you know what I'm learning from this community? One, that I'm super judgy. But two, the value, it, it's not about the value of the gift. It's about the heart of the giver. Man, these people who post, they're always the same name. People keep posting things that are super low in value, nearly negative in value, but they just keep doing it because they think it just might bless somebody, and who knew? It oftentimes does. People are showing up to their porch and grabbing their junk. When I get off my high horse and stop thinking that it's weird, there's beauty in it. Because they just have a posture of being generous with the little that they have. They're not offering things that are valuable, that are worth money, or it's just two little copper coins that might be worthless to somebody, but might be really meaningful to somebody else. This is what I mean. Generosity is not dependent on how much you have. 
These people don't have much. They're not giving much at all. We tend to think once I have lots of money left over, then I can become generous. But I think these people show that even if you have very little, you can be generous because it's not about how much money you make, how much expendable income you have, how wealthy you are. It's a heart posture. What it does depend on is how much you think about others, how much you might consider the needs and blessing of other people. Because even with very little, we could be very generous, just like the poor widow. She had ne nearly nothing. And yet she's an example of generosity because generosity is about the state of the heart. The second thing we can learn about generosity from this woman it's, let's remember the setting here, right? So she's putting in money to the temple treasury to go to the work of the temple. So what is her contribution actually doing for the work of the temple? Zero, right? One sixty-fourth of a day's wage is going to do nothing meaningful financially to the work of the temple. Imagine if I deposited $1 into any of your bank accounts. Would it do anything meaningful to your life? No you wouldn't even notice that it was there. And if I stole $1 from your bank account, you wouldn't notice that it disappeared. It does nothing for you. This widow's do donation did zero for the actual work of the temple. But then Jesus praises her over the people who are giving large sums of money that clearly are meaningful financially to the work of the temple. He praises her. Why? He says in verse 4, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The phrase translated, all she had to live on, in Greek, is just all her life. So reading it again, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all her life. The point is, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Generosity is about giving of yourself, a giving of your heart. God does care about financial stewardship. I believe that he does care about generosity, but only cares as an expression of having your heart first. Remove the heart, and it's, what is it to him? Giving your heart to the Lord is what he desires, not certain dollar values or amounts. But I think if you're like me, I think humans, we tend to care so much about the amount. We like it when there's more zeros. But I don't think that's how God thinks. What does the amount and additional zeros do to God? Does it help him pay his rent more? Like, you know, what does it do? This week, I hit a big milestone as a parent, as a dad. I feel like I'm, now I'm a real dad. I was a fake one before, but now I'm real. It was a big moment. Ready? Look at this picture. This is what happened to me. I received my first hand turkey this week. And I am so real of a dad now because Judah did this at daycare. Clearly, the adults helped him because he's, he's not that good. But he did this at daycare, and he brought it home, and we were excited. And, of course, we respond, like, you know, over the top, like, oh, my God, you made this. Oh, my God, look at the color in the eye and like this is your hand and like you know over the top like so happy we're gonna put it on the fridge good job Judah like you know it was cute and endearing and, and what a good feeling to have your kid bring you something like excitedly like look what I made right 
Now, do I like this for the value? <laughs> Am I going to be able to sell this on eBay? Like, look at the fine arts, you know, craftsmanship of the, of the turkey, right? Like, no, if it's about the value, it's negative. Like, I don't want clutter. Like, there's, ah, there's like glitter on the carpet. Like, like, let's just wait for him to go to sleep. We're going to throw this straight in the trash. You know, like, this is, like what does it actually do? This is just junk, right? I, if it's about the value, I would just, okay, Judah, bring it here. Like, okay, open the trash. Put it in there. Like, have, have him throw it straight into the trash. But I didn't do that, I promise. And that's not what I'll do. I'll love it. Not because of its value, but because Jesus, uh, Jesus, Judah excitedly gave it from his heart. When I receive the turkey hand, I'm not happy because of the turkey hand. I'm not happy because now my net value has increased and my worth is getting higher. I'll be happy because my son made it for me. Because I have his heart. I have his affection. He wanted me to have this because of his heart. Think about God's perspective, church. We tend to think that he cares about the money. Like, isn't that silly? To think that the creator of the cosmos, of the universe and stars, cares about money. Like, like, like as if like, we're giving him, we're somehow benefiting him. Like this whole week, I was, I was just, you know, being playful in my mind and thinking about us bringing God money the way that Judah brought. Like, God thinking we're cute. Like, oh my God, you brought me green paper. You're so cute. Like, there's zeros, like one zero zero on this paper instead of a, a, a five. Oh my God, I'm so proud of you. Like, you, you know, like Noogie. I have to admit, I, I, it, when I'm not thinking, I think God cares about the amount. Like, if, if I give 500 into this charity instead of 20 bucks, like, oh, God's going to be so proud of me. Like, think about what, the, what that like what we're actually saying that God cares about like zeros and ones on an, on an app what, is it, what does it actually mean to him this is no different than kids like all of you probably I did it too like you glue Elmer's glue and macaroni you bring it to your parents you didn't do anything for them you didn't increase their, you didn't benefit or bless them it's not about the value it's about the heart Living generously is not about the quantity of your giving. It's about the heart. It's about your life. Giving all your life, just like the poor widow did. So in summary, living generously is not about how much you have or the value of what you have or the quantity of what you give. It's about the state of your heart and then the action of giving it. Loving. And if you truly want to live a rich and deep and meaningful life, then I believe that you will pursue one of giving your heart to God and then living generously from that posture in love to all those around you. So how do we do that? How do we live the rich life? If you're with me and you do want a deep and meaningful and purposeful life, how do you do that? Well, when I think about life, it's a simple equation. If I want to be physically fit, I have to exercise. Not just once, not just before spring break, not just before I go to the beach, but regularly. I know, it sucks. If you want to learn a language, you can't just practice once. 
or on occasion, you have to speak the language regularly. If you want any meaningful change in your life, you have to do it regularly. So if we want the rich life, then generosity can't be something that's just seasonal, occasional. Maybe if a coworker invites you to sponsor them in their 5K, but something that's a regular part of your existence, who you are as a person, your life, your being. So my recommendation is if you want to live richly, make it a part of your life to give regularly. Generosity in our lives as followers of Christ who want the rich life, it should be like a utility bill, not like a Black Friday sale. Black Friday happens once a year, happens during the holiday season, and it's optional. You don't have to go wait in line or sit on your computer on Cyber Monday. It's up to you. Utility bills, they're permanent and regular. This is what I believe our generosity should be like. So if you're not living generously, regularly, I want to encourage you to start today. What cause in the world or, or, or a, a, an organization or a belief system or a change that you want to see happen in the world or a people group that you love, who could benefit from your regular generosity? Set up recurring giving today and don't cancel it. Remember, some of you are stressing out right now. Pastor Dan, you don't understand. I'm a, you know how much like, debt I'm in? I'm a student. I, don't have, I work part-time at a restaurant. Like, it's not about the amount. Keep, keep backing off that. It's 164th of a day's wage. And she's praised. Jesus is not like, what is your pay going to do for, this, for, this, for the temple? No, no, no. He praises her because it was her heart, not about the value. So even if you are in that financial state, Set up a 50-cent recurring giving. I don't care. I don't think God cares. I think he cares about the state of your heart. So if you don't give regularly, that's my encouragement to you, to live richly in that way, in loving somebody else, and caring for something, and contributing to it from your heart, regardless of how much or how little you have. One of the things that I love about this church, um, and that this is, when I was typing this this week, this, I, I was just so overjoyed that I could put this paragraph in here, is how generous this church already is. And so as I was typing this, I was like, not every pastor is spoiled like this to be able to say, I would now like to address those of you who already are. What an awesome sentence. I know that people in this room, you already are incredibly and regularly generous. And so for those of us who also need an application point, I would like to say to increase your giving regularly. If you already are in this practice and living richly in this way, live richer. Think about, oh, you know, we haven't really talked about that. And you know, maybe it's a your situation with your spouse. Oh, yeah, we've been giving to that missionary for many years. Like, should we reconsider maybe sending a little bit? Like, maybe you haven't done that. That's my encouragement to you. Years ago, Unji uh, and I made a commitment in our marriage that every time we made more money, that we would give away more. Not percentage-wise, but like to stretch the ratio. So whether it's a raise, a bonus, a gift, you know, anything, any time that our net worth increases, that then an more money must go out. Not because we, we feel like, oh, like we're imprisoned to the no, because we believe that this will make our life happier. It's almost selfish in a way. Friends, those of you who are giving regularly, 
my encouragement to you is to think about ways to increase your generosity regularly too. Maybe it's just giving more to something that you already love. Maybe it's giving to something that you've never considered before. Maybe if you have that type of expendable income, it's you see a lot on the news and you respond to what you see on the news. Maybe it's finding a, a missionary or, or, or you know, any type of nonprofit or, or caring about some sort of research that could benefit families or whatever it may be, increase it. Be selfish in that regard. Live richer. Make your life have more joy and meaning. Here at Cornerstone, we have options. I'm not saying you must give to us, but we have a benevolence fund that the church does not touch a single penny of it. It only goes to people in need. Give to the benevolence fund. Or if you do believe in the mission of the church, give to that. Regardless, my encouragement to you is to increase your giving regularly too. Here's the best part of all this, friends, why I say selfish, you know. My invitation to you to start giving regularly or to increase your giving regularly, it's an invitation to a rich life. These application points, they're about greater fulfillment and happiness. Money likes to trick us and manipulate our brains into thinking that what I'm asking you to do is something difficult and like, you know, here, take your medicine. It's going to be bitter. You know, like, just force feed the vegetables that you don't want to eat. It'll be good for you, but just do it. Like, this, this application, I promise you, is, is the opposite of that. It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to having a more meaningful life. When you're contributing to the love of the people in this world who need it. And when your heart is given over to the Lord and he uses you mightily for his purpose. I'm inviting you to live a richer life. And that's what we've been trying to do these past three weeks in these messages. The point of this sermon series was not for us to become good budgeters. The point of this sermon series was not for us to be good financial managers. The point of this sermon series was for us all to live a richer life. And I believe we can do that. So let's respond in joy. Let's respond in giving the Lord our hearts. My encouragement to you is to be generous in big or very small ways and live richly. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we just close our time together. Lord, you tell us multiple times in Scripture that you're not looking at the offering itself, you're looking at the heart. And so we would be foolish if we spent three weeks talking about how we can better manage the offering. But that's not the point. We want to give our hearts over to you, God, and let offerings spill forth from there. And so, Father, I pray for each person in here to be a child before you, who's excited to bring to you a construction paper with macaroni glued to it or a mud pie that they made in the backyard or some sort of craft with stickers and glitter on it. That it wouldn't be about the value of the thing, but it would be about the posture of the giver. Father, I pray that Cornerstone would live richly, that we would be known as generous people who care about your purpose in the world and who love those around us 
who are in need. In the past two sermons, you know, Lisa and Eugene both talked about how we are really privileged people. This demographic is very privileged. Let us not forget that, nor let us ever take that for granted, but let us seize and utilize this position for good. So we pray that our hearts would be open, that you would use us from that posture, and that you would be glorified through the state and the giving of our hearts. So be glorified, Lord, through our rich living. And we pray that you would benefit and bless those in the world who need it through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.